and welcome to the Stay at Home Schooling Mom podcast. My name is Mary Ellen Barrett, and I am here with my friend Ginny Sufert. And we have a great topic today, and one that maybe you don't always think of as a subject to teach, but it really is essential going forward, especially as the kids get older. But first, before we jump in, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Seton Home Study School, the largest distance school from pre-K to 12th grade in the United States. And we were talking about it before. It might possibly be the largest one in the world. (laughs) We're not sure, but we think we've heard that. But anyway, it provides beautiful Catholic materials to almost 18,000 students for over 30 years. And I do know the students come from all over the world. We're, they're a global, global student body. So please go check out their website at www.seatonhome.org. And if you're enjoying this podcast, we encourage you to give us a five-star rating wherever you are listening. And if you are not enjoying this podcast, I don't know why you're here. And please do not give us a rating at all. <laughs> But if you'd like to share the news with all your friends and relatives and, you know, people around town and in your parish and other homeschoolers, we would be delighted if you would do that. Because the more you share and the more nice ratings we get and the more likes, um, the more uh, we get featured. And so the more people get to listen to us. And that helps homeschoolers. So are you ready, Jenny? I am ready to go. I think this is an important one. Teaching study habits. Yes. Uh, This is a biggie. Uh, It's really the key to academic success, I think. Yeah. I mean, learning how to learn things is really what it is. And when I was in high school, that was something that you learned. Like it was part of each subject. Study skills. Yeah. The nuns were big on that. Oh, Um, yeah. I was taught a lot by nuns in high school. So and they were big on telling you how to study for different subjects. And so going into college... It, it was kind of, you were trained to do it and it made things a lot easier. And I don't think it's as much of a focus academically these days as it used to be. And I don't know that homeschool mothers as much focus on teaching study skills. And I don't know why. Like you have to pay attention to doing it. It's like teaching the kids the pledge, <laughs> you know, suddenly they're right. 11 and you're like, oh, I didn't do that. <laughs> Like, oh, wow, I forgot about that. My fa- my favorite used to be all of a sudden I realized that my kids didn't know how to write dates. Because <laughs> yeah. it's not like when you're in school and, you know, the teacher would have you write your name and the date at the top of each page. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you don't do that in homeschool or like you don't teach them their address. Like they teach, right. Right? suddenly you realize the kid's seven and he doesn't know where he lives. Like yeah. there, there are things that there are gaps, you know, there are yeah. gaps in every education and homeschoolers have unique gaps. And I think study skills or study habits might be a gap because they don't come home and do homework and have to study on their own. So mom is always right there. I think it's important to kind of focus on this. And that's why we decided to cover this topic. So we came up with five study skills to teach your students. And you can start pretty young with these. Oh, yeah. Uh, The first one you want to introduce was organization. Right. And again, you can start this as early as second or third grade when you start with spelling tests. But organization, you have to be a well-organized student to be successful at studying. You have to be able to find your books and your notebooks and your notes. Um, You have to be able to read what you wrote down. um, And they have to be in the correct order. If you write in the margins, you have to be able to read what you wrote. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's, that's very important. <laughs> One of the things I did when the kids were very, very little. So first of all, they, they have to have a place where they keep your books. You're absolutely right. You cannot spend, if you're spending five hours on homeschooling and the first hour is spent looking for a pencil with a point. Oh, 
Oh, it ruins so, your whole day. Ruins your whole so you, day. <laughs> it does. So you have to be organized yourself. Even if you have one of those free cups that the local real estate agent gives you, or <laughs> the local state farm agent, you know, they give you a little free cup when you go to the, the town fair. Uh, just keep pencils and pens and that on your table. Each kid has to have a shelf or a bin or a cubby or whatever it is you have. And they have to be responsible, really starting in kindergarten and first grade. Take your own books out. Mm-hmm. And know where away. they are. Yeah. Take them out. Uh, what I would have the kids do is make a pile. So there's a pile on the left. These are the books I have to do. And then as you finish them, put make a new pile of the done work. Right. So you know what's you can see at a glance what's getting done. And then well, when that, it's all done. It's also kind of a nice feeling for the kids. Oh, right. Yes. This one pile's getting smaller, the other one's getting bigger, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. It's like a checklist for little kids who can't make a checklist yet. <laughs> this is my but then checklist. once they can have a checklist. Uh, there's all sorts of different ways of doing it. Seton Home Study sends you like a little written planner that I would write out the daily assignments. And when I say write them out, I mean, I do phonics, page one, page two, page three, page four, <laughs> page five. It was pretty spare. Mm-hmm. But then when they finished it, they literally had to check it off. Right. And it's it, that's very satisfying. Sarah McKenzie, who does the Read Aloud podcast, uh, Read Aloud Revival podcast, which is an excellent podcast. It's It's all about books to read aloud to children. Um, on her blog years ago, she had this very simple system. Each kid got one of those cheapy spiral notebooks. And every day she would open to a fresh page, write the date, and then what they had to do, like math, page one, two, three, um, right. you know, whatever. And she would just put, draw a little box next to it. And then they would check off. And that was like her planner. And it was just the simplest little thing. And she said it was... The, it was the most successful homeschool year she had ever had because they just had this little list to check off. She said it took her 10 minutes every morning to do her six kids to just write that out. And it it just helps. Like that little level of organization helps the kids to keep on track and keep their work going. So and organization. you can also use it. So say they have their list, you know, they have to do English, they have to do math, they have to do history, they have to do science, they have to do spelling. But math, they're really having a problem with something. I taught my kids because I was busy. I taught seven was the most I ever taught in one year. It's a lot of kids. It is. That's a lot. So I say, if you're doing something and you don't know, don't say, Ma, <laughs> I need help. You know? So I said, write mom next to math in your planner. And when I was, as soon as I'm finished teaching whatever it was I was teaching at that time, I will get to you. Right. I will get yeah. to you and I will help you with that. So you can write mom or help or whatever it is you have to write in your planner. But that type of organization, it's a small thing in a way, but man, does it pay off big. Right. Yes. And the kids see that you're organized and then they do tend to absorb it. Yeah. You know, after the 10,000th time you say, <laughs> put all your books away, suddenly they put all their books away. Right. You know, they do start to acclimate to that atmosphere that you've created in the home. And it's it's really essential because someday they will have to go if you, if your child does go off to college they will have to keep track of their own books and their own study notes. It could, be, notes. It could yeah. be this. It could be a job. Yeah, you're going to have to keep track of what you have to do at your job, yeah. and whether you do that on a computer program or whether you do it on a, a silly little list or a calendar or whatever it is you do. I make lists all the time. That's I had twelve kids. No, yeah, I and there comes a time, and I'm definitely at this age where. I can, I'll forget stuff. Like I just, I forget stuff. So I write things down. I'm a pen and paper person. Um, 
we have a we have a Google family calendar that my daughter mm-hmm. Bridget keeps for us. And we'll tell oh, Bridget, put this in the calendar, put this, you know, when people are coming and going and all that kind of stuff. But I have a paper planner and I have a notebook that I just walk around and I keep lists in because I'm a paper person and I have yeah. to write down lists because I have, I will forget things. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot of people to keep track of. Sure is. No, I do that with grocery shopping. I do that with I'm going you know, I'm going to do my grocery shopping, but I also want to stop in and I don't know, renew my newspaper subscription or go to the farm store and buy seeds. I write it all down and it keeps you on track. So this is something that you can learn. Again, I learned it from the nuns the same way you did. Remember they would have on the side of the blackboard, all our assignments for the day. Oh yeah. Yes. That, I mean, that was a thing and it was so helpful. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> it really is. None should run the world, Jenny. I swear. I know none should. <laughs> they did a great job. They, they really did a great did. job. They and really by the way, did. there were sixty kids in our. When I complained about homeschooling seven in one year, okay, we had sixty kids in a classroom in New York City when I was a little girl. Yeah, I know. With one cranky old nun, <laughs> no, no aides. You know, there was no parent aides or anything like that. No teacher aides. Just one cranky old nun. And you could hurt a pin drop. Yeah, my parents had that experience too. When I, for, it was different for me because um, I didn't have all nuns because they were, you know, they were older. I had nuns who right. taught my parents, who taught my mother actually, because I went to an old girl's high school and so did she. And some of those nuns moved out to the island to my high school. But, um, and then when, when Katie, my daughter, Katie, my oldest daughter went to um, first grade here at our local parish school and it closed shortly after, there was only one nun left. <laughs> Yeah, one, one actually, most sister. parish schools have no nuns left, which is why yeah. they're so expensive. The yeah. Nuns used to work for three hots and a cot, you know. Yeah, but they, I mean, those ladies were organized, they were disciplined, they were, yeah. I mean, honestly, if they ran the world, there'd be no Bless poverty, them. there'd be no war, there'd be, everybody would know. know what they were supposed to be doing, and they would do it. <laughs> and that would be all there is to it. So organization is a biggie, work, uh, work hard to, and by the way, when your kids are more organized, so are you. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So are you. When you when your kids are making lists of things they have to do, you're going over even if it's a mental list in your mind of the things that you have to do. So organization helps everyone. The other thing is in our home schools, some of us use the dining room table. Some people have a dedicated schoolroom in the basement. Some people homeschool on the back deck because the weather is nice. But distractions can be tough. Yeah. And you have to minimize that as much as you can, as as much as you can. And and that could be hard when you have toddlers, you know, and babies running around. But if you have a child who's studying for a test, especially if you have um, if you have somebody, say, enrolled, dual enrolled in a college class or or doing um, some online live classes where they're they're sitting in front of a teacher, you really have to make sure that there's as few distractions going on. And if they're studying for a test. Um, I don't know if you've ever walked in on this, Ginny, but I have that, that you're hearing the music blaring out of the room and you're like, what is, and you open the How door. Are you and studying? I, you're oh, not I'm studying. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're not, you're not learning anything. I don't care with this Even horrifying music. It can be a distraction. So a kid might be working on a computer and, and certainly Seton and I presume all the other programs kind of want things to be uh, submitted to them in a, in a word processing file. Mm-hmm. You know, so they have to write their book report or their book analysis or take their history test or whatever on a computer. Sadly, the other thing that's on the computer is like social media. Yeah. Yeah. They have their tabs open. Right. There's always this this temptation to sort of do other things. Uh, It could be a stupid video game. 
Maybe they pick up their phones and they're playing solitaire. Uh, you have to get rid of the distractions. You really do. Uh, on the other hand, you can also look at, well, what creates that environment? So we used to play music, but it was Debussy's piano etudes. Just sort of in the background, very relaxing. Yeah, yeah. that's nice. I think it's very cute that you think anybody under 50 plays solitaire. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I'm not under 50, so I wouldn't know. But they're playing games on it. Well, I'm not either. Yeah, they have their Whatever the dumb game is, they're, 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 they're playing it. Uh, but, but, you know, good lighting in a room. Yes. Uh, you know, that type of stuff can really allow kids to, to sort of focus in on what they're doing. And I kind of joke about it because uh, I was definitely an auditory learner myself. I just had to listen and pay attention. Mm -hmm. So for me, if there's a lot of music going on or noise in the background, even just talking in the background, I can't work. It'll distract me. I like uh, I like quiet when I'm working too. Yeah. I just I read this book called Deep Work. I think the name of the author was Cal Stevens, but if you Google it, you'll see uh, it was written several years ago, and he gives an example. It was it's written by a physicist. And he's written a bunch of books about this kind oh, of smarter thing. than me. <laughs> he's a really smart guy. He has a blog too. But it's about how you can how to focus and really work hard and and what you need to do to do this. And he gives an example of a young man who had to, he was so used to being distracted that he had to actually train himself to work quietly. So he started to he he had to learn something about programming, computer programming, mm -hmm. and he had to teach himself. Like I said, this was written several years ago. Um, and he didn't want to teach because he had to concentrate so much. He didn't want to learn on the computer. So he bought books, like textbooks, and he locked himself in a room with no distractions for six hours a day. And in six months, he learned enough to get this very high paying job about yeah. this particular, whatever it was in computers, I forget. Because he knew more than other people who had taken this course, this very expensive course, but they were also distracted and he was able to focus. He trained himself to focus. And the point was that we are so, as a people now, distracted and our attention spans are so short. And I know it myself now, my attention span, I used to be able to sit and read for hours. And now I'm like, Duh, duh, duh. and part of it is the age that I'm at. And, and they say menopause does this to you. And it does. It, it makes you a little bit more distractible and, and a little bit but less. There's more distractions. To, too. Yes. Um, and, and reading this book kind of points out and it gives you some tools. It's called deep work. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, um, it's very readable uh, having been written by a physicist, but um, how to train yourself to go back to that place where you can focus it's really hard. And these kids who have never not known this kind of, you know, MTV style editing and everything's blink, right. blink, 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 blink. They don't know. They can't how read to a focus. long article in the newspaper. They right. have to get like the 30 second little blurb that they get online. I've even seen like one of my favorite things to do is to walk outside. I love to go for a walk. Mm -hmm. You are and a walker. It's almost a prayer thing for me. I am so grateful to God when I see a beautiful dogwood tree or something. Just to walk and see the tree, feel the breeze. I love it. I have, there's a cute little squirrel. I love seeing that. I just love, and I'll see people when I'm walking, they're walking too, but they all have their earbuds in. Yeah. Always. They're all listening to something else or they're talking on the phone. It's okay to just take a walk. <laughs> <laughs> just look around you, not have anything plugged into your head. Right. Yeah. I think there's a lot, a lot to be said for that. So certainly in our, our school rooms, 
teaching our kids, we can do that to minimize the distractions, make sure they have good lighting, perhaps there's a little background noise. Like I say, something like a piano etude though, not, not anything with lyrics. Even even Gregorian chant wouldn't be good because they hear they could hear the lyrics, but just something you know nice, uh, quiet. Now we'll we'll do another whole podcast on babies and toddlers and how they can kind of destroy our our just our distraction relief here. But that's that that's too long to go into this one. However, right now maybe this would be a good time to take our sponsor break. As we said at the beginning, Seton Help Study School is our primary sponsor, but. The fact is that we have other sponsors who we very, very much appreciate. So let's hear a word from one of them now. Choose the best answer. A, Seton Testing provides tests and test preparation materials for homeschoolers. B, Seton Testing offers many different tests, including online tests, diagnostic tests in reading and math, and standardized testing for end-of-year proof of progress for homeschoolers. C, Seton testing provides quick and accurate results, or D, all of the above. If you answer D, then perhaps you already know that Seton testing has been providing testing services to homeschooling families at affordable prices for more than 40 years. To see how Seton testing can serve your family, see our website at setontesting.com. Good news, if you are currently enrolled with Seton Home Study School, then you will receive a discount on standardized testing. See seatontesting.com for details. So we are back and thank you very much to our sponsor. We are very, very grateful to them. And we're grateful to you, our listeners, because we're just grateful to have you here with us. And we enjoy these little talks that we have. And we're grateful to you to share them with us. So we're back and we're going to talk about time management, also a great study skill, study habit. So we've covered organization and minimizing distractions. And now, Jen, let's talk about time management. You know, this is something that we really can start in the earliest grades. And I do that with a simple schedule. We start and we started our schoolwork at eight o'clock in the morning because <laughs> I had a lot to get done. Yeah. So you start at eight o'clock, you get a break at 10 o'clock in the morning. You get lunch at 12 o'clock for the sake of argument. And then the older kids have to work, you know, starting at one o'clock while the babies are napping. That type of a simple schedule does a couple of things. One of them is that it minimizes, I'm hungry. Well, you get a break at 10 o'clock. Don't talk about it. You're going to be a bigger breakfast. <laughs> Offer it you up. Know, that type of thing. <laughs> so teaching kids that type of time management is really good in the beginning. They know that if they want to, they have to start school work at eight o'clock, they better be up and at the breakfast table at 730. And that's all there is to it. Um, and some people say, well, one of the reasons we homeschool is we don't want them to be on such a time schedule. I think you will bitterly regret that as time goes on, because the fact is that the world we live in has timelines and deadlines. Right. Yeah. The, the deadline thing I find is a very big deal. I run the college partner program or help run the college partner program for Seton Home Study School. So we um, partner up with Newman Guide Colleges in order to help Seton students to look into Newman Guide Colleges to kind of get them into authentic Catholic colleges at, after graduation and to um, make that easier for them. And it's a great program. So I talk to a lot of admissions directors in, in the course of running this program and the one thing that they don't like about homeschooled students is that they're not good with deadlines. Right. They, tend they never to, had a deadline. Right. They tend to not really think 
deadlines are serious things. <laughs> like, and, and so when talking to homeschooled students, they have to say, you know, the deadline for application is really, you know, January 4th or whatever it is. Right. It's like really, we really mean it. that it really is January 4th. <laughs> Everybody else is getting it in that day and you have to, too. You're not that special. Like, <laughs> It's not your mommy grading it or it's not your mommy looking at it. So they, that is a drawback. And while you might get a Newman guy admissions director to to maybe wave it through or um they really local, want to as a student. Yeah. Uh, your local community college will not. Nope. Or, you know, Harvard or, you know, anywhere else, the military academy or even the military will not wave anything through like that. Or your your local trade school or anything else. You know, right. deadlines are deadlines in the rest of the world. And that has to be taught really to children. So when mom says, I want, I want to see your, your essay that I assigned or your book report that I assigned or this history paper that I asked you to write on Friday, and it doesn't appear on your desk on Friday, then there has to be a consequence to that because deadlines are serious in the real world. Yeah. It's a really important thing. And the way they do that is learning how to manage their time. So I had, this sounds silly, but we had a rule in our house. We kept the place tidy during the week, but Saturday morning was cleaning time and everybody had an assignment. You know, Claire's job was the upstairs bathroom sort of thing. Everybody had a job. Saturday morning, our house was clean where we actually, you know, dusted the moldings around the door. Yeah. Well, they got vacuumed. That was our, our Saturday was our big day to clean. Floors got mopped. Everything got vacuumed, that sort of thing. And they knew like I say, Claire's job is the upstairs bathroom. Well, if she wanted to do something Saturday morning, it had to get done Friday night, period. Um, That's it. That's it. So she had to manage her schedule or get up real early or something. Yeah. She had to manage that. She had to figure that out. I think it's a huge thing. If you talk to, in fact, we recently, a couple of years ago, actually now, uh, sold our own business. And the biggest problem we had with uh, younger employees by far was that they just didn't show up or they didn't show up on time. My favorite was a woman that came in several hours late and she had a Dunkin' Donuts bag in her hand. <laughs> She's late and she still had time to stop at Dunkin' Donuts and pick up a coffee. <laughs> oh, the, just the nerve. Like you got to admire the nerve, the sheer <laughs> nerve of it all. <laughs> like, wow. Did she bring you any? That would no, be my she didn't. first question. Do I get a cup of coffee? <laughs> if you talk to oh, employers yeah. now and every time small, every time small businessmen would get together, we did periodically. Uh, with people in the same industry and us. And we it was nice. It was old friends. We Every single conversation was how hard it was to get good help. Yeah, you do hear that all over the place. The uh, the restaurant my son works for when he's home from school says the same thing. Like people come and go, like they just cannot get anybody to hang around long enough to even train them. Or they well, come that, and they, they come and go. They, they, they'll be late and they don't call. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's so, yeah, you have to, that kind of responsibility to take, to take your time and manage it well. I have this many tasks to accomplish, this much time to do it in. So I have to put my phone down or close my laptop, you know, and get it done. So right. there's there's leisure time and there's work time <laughs> and there are tasks to be completed and work time has to come first. And yeah. that's just a life skill, and but it's a study habit too. You know, yeah, I we're have- doing kids no favor. If we did like the paper is due on Friday, you know what? You can give me a draft on Wednesday and I'll take a look at it and make right. suggestions. 
Yeah, that's that's a very good point. If I'm if I'm working on something and I'm not quite sure how it's going, can you take a look at this, Mom? Is my outline okay? Am I is can you edit this a little bit for me or something like that? Yeah, that's that's what you're there but, but for. But if it's due on Friday, I've got to see that on Thursday or Wednesday or something like that. Right. So time management is a really important part of of a, a kid's study skills. Yes. Absolutely yes. important. The other one, and this is also a little tougher, I think, in homeschooling than it is in the classroom, is taking notes. Yeah, yeah. but it is a really important skill, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially in any like post-high school academic situation, I'm a, I'm a voracious note taker. <laughs> I take notes about everything. And it, it it's, I don't know how they do it now because everything is so digital, but I should ask one of my... Like I should ask the kid who's in college now how they do that, but uh, they can take notes on their. On their I'm sure they're doing it on their laptops. I wonder if they right. record things. I wonder if teachers allow that. I think if I were a professor, I would not allow recording. I wouldn't be thrilled with the idea myself, but taking notes. Um, I, I know some of the private schools in Chicago will allow junior high school students to take open note tests. Ah, okay. So they have to listen to their lectures. They can take notes from their their books. But then when you take the test, it's not an open book test. It's an open note test. So it encourages kids to take copious notes. Well, so yeah, they can, that's smart. So they can find the answers. It, it's a smart idea. There's loads of ways of taking notes, different methods. Yeah, there's five main methods, academic methods of taking notes. There's Cornell, there's mapping, there's charting, there's sentences, and there's outlining. And you can Google those different methods. It would be too difficult to try to explain them on a podcast. You really kind of have to see them. They're very easy. I'm sure there are YouTube videos about them. And depending on like that, some are more suited to maybe a science class um, rather than like a literature class. I used to do a lot of the Cornell ones. I was an English lit major. Or or you could just, you know, something you just write things down. I used to have my own kind of shorthand in college. There's also highlighting things in textbooks. I used to have this you know, very, very advanced method. I would highlight in class things in yellow. And then when I was studying, I'd go over it in blue and I knew that the things in green were the things you really needed to right. know for the final. <laughs> so, you know, very advanced. <laughs> Highlighting margin notes. One of the uh, things that I used to do, uh, so Seton has book reports that are required, but you can see the outline of the book report before you start to write it. So Little House in the, uh, the Big Woods, they might say uh, you have to speak about uh, mom and Pom, Pa were devoted parents. Laura and Mary were uh, obedient little girls. Uh, the family enjoyed, a, even though they lived in the country, the family enjoyed a lively social life. So I would write those on the inside cover of the book. Hmm. And then as I would tell them, as you get to a part that shows them leading their social life, write that page number. That's next. Smart, yeah. To, yeah, write the page number. You can highlight it in the book, whatever you want to do, so that when it comes to time to write the book report itself, you now have a list of pages that cover those three main points. Right. We would we would use sticky notes or um, fold down the pages. Same kind of thing. Same kind um, of thing. Yeah. But just whatever it makes. And and using the highlighter or colored pens or whatever helps. Help, and even when you're taking notes, like using different colored pens or highlights and things, helps you get a visual mastery over the material. So if you're having trouble recalling, facts that you need for the science test. If you can picture what the page looks like, oh, and that's the stuff that was in the pink pen. Right. Suddenly you can recall it better. 
And there are studies done that show that 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 the visual mastery is important. So maybe you don't remember the exact answer. If you can picture the page and picture the colors, it will come back to you. Yeah. So all these things about taking notes are really important. So if you are if you have a student teaching them or having them sit in front of a couple of YouTube videos about taking notes, and then if they're doing dual enrollment classes or or taking live classes, say on a homeschool connection or something like that, or they're doing Colby's classes, have them take notes. Don't just sit there like uh, in front of the, <laughs> in front I'm of just standing there going right into my brain. Yeah. <laughs> Again, and, and we've talked about this in other podcasts, writing things down, like the visual that that muscle memory is important. So if you, they're writing it, great. Yeah. So they write them down and then you rewrite it. So you write it down and it's a mess. Okay. As soon as the class is over, rewrite it. So again, you're getting more muscle memory and then you have visual memory and maybe write it down in different colors. Oh, okay. So this was this point he made and I'll write that out. Oh, this is the next point he made and I'll write that out in a different color. Like it's all going toward putting, by the time you're ready for the test, you've already done this three times. I had a niece that was a really brilliant student. She's raising her kids now, but she was really, really smart and and very accomplished. And her mother said she'd come home from school every day and copy her notes over at home, make improvements, look up something that maybe she didn't get quite the first time. She'd look it up in the textbook. So like you say, she saw it in the textbook. She heard the lecture from the teacher. She took her notes at school and now she's writing them again. Of course, the kid's going to have it. (laughs) Yes, yes. So by the time the test comes around, she's just doing what the fifth one is, is read, recite, and review. Because she's already really mastered that material. She's internalized that material, whatever it is. So now she's really at a review stage for for taking the test or writing the paper or whatever it is. And read, recite, review is really, reading is more than just staring at the book, right? You have to internalize this information. So you're reading it, you're kind of, making the connections in your head and saying it out loud. So reciting it, that actually does. Now, Ginny said she's an auditory learner. If you are an auditory learner, but there's no audible book and you 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 can't listen to the lecture because you've already heard the lecture, saying it out loud, saying your notes out loud. It sounds stupid that you're sitting in a room by yourself saying it out loud, but I used to walk around saying it out loud to myself. If it was difficult, if it was something that didn't make sense to me, just say it out loud. At least you're memorizing it. Like yeah, my husband, it. the percussionist, mm-hmm. used to walk up and down the halls with his spelling words, and he would say them like to a beat as he was walking up and down the you hallway. See, that's brilliant. Yeah. So and that's how he, he was a lousy speller, and he just memorized his spelling words by putting them to a beat in his head as he walked. And you know, read, recite, review. You you brought up a very good point. Somebody like me, I mean, I'm such an auditory learner that if I was driving in the car and I was having trouble figuring out where I was going. I mean, the kids, be quiet. I can't see where I'm going, which makes no (laughs) sense at all. I realize that, but that distraction drove me nuts. However, I have one of my son-in-laws is such a visual learner. He's almost spooky. He'll look at a screen and he's staring at it like he's, you know, sending rays from his eyes into the screen or something, but then he knows what's on there. He just, he's a visual learner. He sees it and he kind of memorizes it. He has, I guess what they call a photographic memory. So there's no, and this comes up in homeschooling a lot. Maybe we'll do a, 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 sh- a show about this one time. But the fact is that I'm an auditory learner. Somebody else might be a visual learner. Somebody else might be a kinesthetic learner where they learn by, you know, walking up down the hall, spelling their words to a beat. But the best way that all of us learn is a multi-sensory approach. Yeah. 
You see it, you say it, you hear it, you write it and put it in your muscle memory. That's the best way for all of us to learn. Yeah, it is. And it's it's time consuming. But if you have the kids start doing those kinds of things early on, like in fourth grade, when the when generally work starts bumping up for kids, um, you, they start getting more work to do. And so that's when maybe history and science start becoming real subjects rather than stories that we tell or f- cute little experiments. So they have to start memorizing the planets or start memorizing like real facts about history start having them take notes, take little notes or write little notes out or even writing them out as flashcards can be, you know, the beginning Absolutely. of study. Flashcards, I think, are a great way of doing it. If you have to memorize the meaning of words in science, for example. Yeah. Some of those words are really tough. Like, what is a quark sort of thing? Yeah. But you, you write it on a flashcard, you put the, the answer on the back and you can play a game with it. There's all sorts of ways of doing it. But you're right. Reading, writing it, reviewing it. And these are how you build these study skills. Yeah, they are. And it's an important, important skill for moms to teach the kids. And it's it actually does have to be taught. It's not something they're just going to assimilate. We have right. to teach. We have to teach it to them. And it's important to be aware of that as they get older. So we did have this little study. I did want to read it to you. It's a little bit of a it's it's some information here, and I'm going to read it to you rather than um, us discussing it. There was a study of Japanese universities and reach, Japanese university students and recent graduates have revealed that writing on physical paper can lead to more brain activity when remembering information than an hour later. Researchers say that the unique, complex, and spatial and tactile information associated with writing by hand on physical paper is likely what leads to improved memory. Actually, paper is more advanced and useful compared to electronic documents because paper contains more one-of-a-kind information for stronger memory recall, said Professor Kuni. Give up on the name. Sakai, (laughs) a poor man, I'm so sorry I ruined your name, a neuroscientist at the University of Tokyo and corresponding author of the research recently published in Frontiers in Behavioral Neuroscience. The research was completed with collaborators from the NTT Data Institute of Management and Consulting. So they were saying... um, Contrary to the popular belief that digital tools increase efficiency, volunteers who use paper completed the note-taking tasks about 25% faster than those who use digital tablets or smartphones. And although volunteers wrote by hand, both with pen and paper or stylus and digital tablet, researchers say paper notebooks contain more complex spatial information than digital Isn't paper. that interesting? Right? You would I, think I found that fascinating. Stylus on a stylus on, a, on a, some sort of a, a digital notebook that that would go faster, right? Or or at least the same. Yeah, apparently it's very different. Physical paper allows for tangible permanence, irregular strokes, and uneven shape, like folded corners. In contrast, digital paper is uniform, has no fixed position when scrolling, and disappears when you close the app. Our take-home message is that to use paper notebooks for information, we need to learn or memorize, said Sakai. Isn't that interesting? I really think it goes back to that like visual memory. Like if you picture the folded paper or the the splotch on the paper, it makes you recall what's written there. The purple highlight. But you can do a a purple highlight on, I do it all the time on my, on word processing documents, but it's not the same thing as taking that fat pen Mm -hmm. 
and and looking at stuff as you're doing it. You, you have to cover every word as you do it. Very interesting and, and something that we should give a lot of thought to today because uh, according to the NAEP test, which the government uses to see where American students are, American students are doing really badly. I know. I know. It's kind really of shocking. <laughs> I think two thirds of eighth graders were not proficient in uh, English language arts and 75% were not proficient in math. Proficient. We're not talking about advanced, proficient. I know. So I think we got, we have to go back to this. Everybody get, go to Staples or, you know, Office Max or wherever it is you go and buy notebooks and have them start writing stuff down again. And September, they're dirt cheap. Yeah, they are Absolutely. dirt cheap. They are, you're right. You can get them for like 25 cents or something. I used to buy, uh, one of the things I did for math, this is my little tip, and then we really have to finish this up. But I used to buy what I called graph paper. Now they call it quadril paper, where the paper is little squares, the whole yeah. thing is little squares. I had my kids do their math on that. Oh, I did too when they were younger. I did. Help them line up. My kids did it right through high school. They just got used to using quadril paper and it helped them to line things up. It was a really um a really good method of, of help visually you can see that you know all the ones are in the ones column sort of thing. Mm-hmm. When you do yeah. long division. Big, big difference. Yes. That's when I saw like fourth grade when they start really doing like the triple digit long division. Oh, yeah. so that, that's when that came in really handy. Yes, definitely. Okay, so I think we've covered it. Those those five tips for teaching study skills. If you have any questions about that, please, we have a Stay at Homeschooling Mom podcast Facebook page, and we'd love to hear your comments or questions. Um, we check it every day. So if when this uh, recording drops, uh, there's a, a page for it there. So just leave us a comment or a question. We do check it and we'll be happy to answer it. And we're so grateful for you all. We're grateful to Seton Home Study School for sponsoring us here and all of our other sponsors. They're terrific people. Um, I'm grateful for Ginny. <laughs> I love you too, baby. <laughs> and Collaboration we... <laughs> Society. We're grateful for each other. And we are going to be back next Wednesday afternoon when our next episode drops. So we will hear you all, see you all then. Thanks for God bless you and thank you for listening to us. And now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Seton Home Study School. Seton Home Study School is a nationally accredited, faithfully Catholic, private distant learning school that serves students from pre-K through 12th grade. There are currently 17,000 homeschool students enrolled in Seton Home Study School and many, many more who use their books and materials, including several small Catholic schools. Since 1983, Seton Home Study School has faithfully served the homeschool community in the United States and all over the world. Please check out their website, setonhome.com. Dot org for more information. And thank you, Seton Home Study School, for sponsoring the podcast, The Stay-at-Home Schooling Moms.